Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Super Bowl Sunday for those of you that care. I'm David Reinstrom. And I'm David Brunel Brutman. And this is the KWUR Theater of the Air. Welcome to our show of ice and wind and cold and chill. Yes, indeed. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have for you some delightfully wintry-themed sketches and uh, episodes. Like, there's one about a snow cone salesman that murders people, and then there's one about a snowman that murders people, and then... My favorite is the one about the penguin who constructs a weather machine that murders people. My favorite is about the lesson about how all snowflakes are different and special in their own way that murder people. Okay. Uh, so you're going to want to stay tuned for all of that because all, all those of, are real things all of that, that we didn't just make up. Lie. Um, no, it was all true. <laughs> all of it. True. Uh, today we will be starting with um, a longboat for Dancing Chipmunk and then moving on to premiere episode four of Sky Pirates, which has not been heard by any ears other than the four of ours. Yes. And it's uh, it's sexy. Let me tell you, you're gonna like it. I think so. I'm I'm happy with it. You're gonna like it, and you're going to like its appropriately winter themed madness. Yes, because because this week has been a uh, a big week for uh, Old Man Winter. Yeah. Let me tell you, really. Uh, Reuben Basker, the director of the uh, the Simon Colt program that uh, is part of our radio network here at the KWR Theater of the Air, was stranded in Philadelphia for. Uh, a couple days coming back from some interviews with uh, Thomas Jefferson University. Yeah, we're we're okay here in St. Louis, of yeah, course. We didn't get but, uh, hardly East any snow. Coast. Pff, wow. Okay. <laughs> Good work, guys. What what East Coast? Yeah, I hope you enjoy uh, going from you know a place where people live into uh, I'm going to say um, the Ice Planet Hoth. The I yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, really? Yeah, the ice planet Hoth. I guess people still technically live. Nobody lives on Hoth. It's Hoth. All right, fine. What, do, do they get snow days on Hoth? I, I, every day is a snow day on Hoth, David. Then I would love to live on Hoth. Um, maybe, except... Maybe they have, like, sun days. Like, you get days <laughs> off when, when the sun shines or something wonderful. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, tonight, in addition to being the premiere of uh, Sky Pirates 4, is also... The Super Bowl. So for those of you that are listening, we are glad you are here because football's dumb. We're way better than the Super Bowl. Actually, I was telling Dave. I mean, Dave, just, you know, objectively, based on scientific evidence that we've collected with, with science. Here, the results are in. Beep, boop, 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 boop. 97.3% of people love the theater of the air. Everyone else Science accomplished. Football is terrible. No, but I, I am I am actually interested in. I'm rooting for the Saints. It's because um, they are playing tonight. And this interests me because I don't know. I like I like the narrative of of New Orleans winning something that plays into some sort of story construct that pleases me in the cockles of my soul. I like Viking detectives. You know what? I like Viking detectives too. You know who my favorite Viking detective is? Um, the Minnesota Viking detectives? No. See, that was a football joke. I knew a football team, you guys. <sighs> now, my favorite Viking detective is, of course, Dancing Chipmunk. And I think it's time we play his adventures for the world to hear. He's my second favorite. Enjoy a longboat for Dancing Chipmunk. <laughs> Thank you. 
They call me Chipmunk. Dancing Chipmunk. I'm a private dick for hire in a little place called Vinland. You might have heard of it. It was the spring of 37. 937. It was a cold spring. But when she walked into my teepee from across the river, wearing a fur so tight it would have made a beaver blush, it got warm enough to cook pemmican in my pockets. What can I do for you? Are you the man they call Chipmunk? Who wants to know? I heard you're a private eye. My name is Freya Sigurd's daughter. Her name rolled off the tongue like Lincolnberry Jam. I come from the Viking village across the river. I have a case for you, Mr. Chipmunk. A case only a Skraling could solve. What do you got? Last night, somebody murdered my longboat. I'm so sorry. Do you think you can help me? Her fur slipped off one shoulder, revealing delicate skin as white as the new-fallen snow. Do you think you can handle it? Just barely. I mean, yes. I'll take your case, Miss Sigurd's daughter. That'll be 35 wampum a day, plus expenses. Reduce it to 25 a day and I'll make it worth your while. What, you'll like clean my teepee? Something like that. My first stop was Othar's Crab Shack. Odash Grailing! What can I do you for? Oh there, Othar. I'd like a pint of mead, please. Yeah, coming right up, Scrailing. And a plate of them cockles, too. So what brings you around these parts, Chipmunk? I'm on a job, Othar. That's so? You know anything about a woman named, uh, Freya Sigurd's daughter? I can't say as I do. What's she look like? Hair the color of honey. Eyes the color of a clear blue day. Lips the color of a freshly killed seal. You're looking for a blue-eyed blonde woman? Yeah. Well, that damn near describes every single woman in this entire Viking village. Oh. Well, this woman had a boat. Oh, a boat. I say there was a woman with a boat down here. About last Tuesday, I'd say. Fine-looking piece of work, that boat. Got a carved figurehead, shape of a dragon. A dragon, you say? Yeah. Do you remember the name of that boat? Uh, yeah, let me see. It was the, uh, Briny Bunny. That was the name of Freya's boat. I had barely been paying attention, distracted as I was, by the rise and fall of her heaving eyebrows. Othar told me the boat was tied up right in front of his crab shack. It was tied up right in front of my crab shack, said Othar. I went down to the docks to look for where the Briny Bunny might have been moored. All I found were some half-eaten cockles and a walrus bone comb inscribed with the runes. Fehu, Sawilo. Who could that be? I knew I couldn't figure this out on my own. So I went to the Viking police, the Norse force. Chipmunk, didn't expect to see you here. Bjorn, I didn't expect to be here. Well, you're here. Yes, I am. And I'm here. Yes, you are. So I guess that means we're both here. That would be true. What are you doing here, Chipmunk? I explained my purpose in visiting Lieutenant Bjorn. Oh, that's why. Yes, it is. I suppose you need my help. Yes, I do. I suppose you can't solve this mystery on your own. I can't. You're a big man to admit that. Thank you. You're welcome. You know I don't care much for your methods, Chipmunk. I know. You could have been on the force. I know. But you're not. I know. Because your methods are too crazy. This is true. I like to play it by the book, Chipmunk. And I'm a loose cannon private eye on the edge. As long as you're working with me, Chipmunk, you're going to have to rein it in. I can do that. But as long as you're working with me, Lieutenant Bjorn, you're going to have to loosen up a little bit. It's a deal, Scrailing. It's a deal, pale face. I showed him the comb. What do you make of this, Lieutenant Bjorn? 
Let me take a look. Mm. You smell that, chipmunk? It smells like mead. It is mead. A specific kind of mead. What kind of mead? Chokeberry mead. And there's only one mead hall in town that serves chokeberry mead. The Moose Knuckle Lodge. Let's go. Okay. Welcome to the Moose Knuckle Lodge. What can I get for you two? It's like a chokeberry mead with bitters. Oh, the same. Two chokeberry meads with bitters coming right up. The Moose Knuckle Lodge was a dingy place. Acrid, wet tobacco smoke drifted up into the rafters, where chandeliers dangled like animal carcasses. Animal carcasses dangled like chandeliers. Here we are now, boys. Two chokeberry meads for you. So, boys, what brings you to the lodge? Business or pleasure? Let's just say I'm looking for a bunny. A briny bunny. <gasps> it was quiet enough in that bar to hear a stilted analogy drop from the tallest tree in the forest. You boys shouldn't be talking about that round here. People will think you're crazy. You might get killed. Come see me out back. We drank the mead. What do you think, Bjorn? You want to go outside? I don't think we should risk it. I do. Well, it appears we're at an impasse. So it does. Whoever finishes their mead first wins. All right, Chipmunk. It's on. It's on like Hugin and Munin on Odin's shoulders. Very well. May the great spirit bless whoever wins first. And doesn't die of alcohol poisoning. Chokeberry mead isn't that pleasant, but I won. We went outside. The bar wench was waiting for us behind a pile of logs and elk bones. Thank God you've arrived. Now listen carefully. I know who murdered that boat in cold blood. You better tell us what you know, sister. Without any delay. Of any kind. At all. Before something happens. Because if something happened to you. That would be bad. And awkward for us. Very awkward. Because you put us on a line here. Because I'm a cop. And I'm a private eye. And sometimes we have to solve cases. Working together. And those cases can be difficult. Very all right, difficult. all right. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah. I know who it was. It was Fro... <laughs> she fell to the ground like a satchel of wet deer meat. The kind that's not inside a deer. She's been shot. With a crossbow. You're numb by the corpse. Look at the fletching on this bolt, chipmunk. What does it mean? It means the shot came from over there. Look, a figure. After it. The mysterious shooter knew we were following it. So we ran. We gave chase like bears chasing other bears. We followed the shooter down to the docks. I drew my handbow. Bjorn drew his sword. All right, hold it right there. This is the Viking police. And a private eye. Associated with the Viking police. It's true. Step out of the shadows, mysterious figure. Neither of you move or you'll get a crossbow bolt in the eye. And if you're not careful, it'll be a private eye. It was Freya Sigurd's daughter. Looking beautiful in the moonlight. That's Sigurd's daughter. The woman that gave me the case, Bjorn. That's really weird. I know. Why'd you do it, Sigurd's daughter? Why'd you kill that bar wench? It should be obvious enough. She was on to me and I was getting away with my plan. I murdered the longboat. <gasps> I needed the insurance wampum, desperately. There was no other choice I had. What do you expect me to have done? Why would you hire me, Freya? Isn't it obvious? Not exactly. I needed a patsy, a fall guy. I would keep you on the case long enough to frame you for the longboat murder. And only a dim-witted scraling like you would fall for it. Are you crazy? What's my motivation? No court would convict me. 
You tell that to a boat full of twelve angry Vikings. Wait, do your trials take place on sea or something? That's, that's kind of weird. It's a maritime custom, Chipmunk. I wouldn't expect you to understand it, but I'm a Viking and I do understand it. I understand a lot of things, several of which I'm recounting at this particular time. That is very convenient for you to do that. I know. Well, that's explained, but we're still in this standoff. So we are. What are you going to do about it, fellas? Uh, look, behind you, a whale! Where? Get her! Let go of me, you fools! Miss Sigurd's daughter, by the power vested in me by the All-Thing, I hereby place you under arrest. All right, Copper, you got me. As for you, Private Eye, I'm sorry it didn't work out between us. I mean, I'm not, because that means I would probably be in jail. Like, arrested for the thing you're being arrested for right now. It was a lovely night, though, wasn't it? Well, until you killed somebody, yeah, it was kind of nice. I had a lovely four hours cleaning your teepee. Bjorn hustled her away into the waiting paddy longboat. I watched her disappear into the moonlight. She wasn't the first woman to put one over on me like that. And she wouldn't be the last. But I'll never forget the way the moonlight glinted off of her flaxen hair. Like the sun glints through the leaves on an autumn day as they rode her away to Viking prison. Another dark night in a town that knows where its quahogs are buried. But if you put me on the case, I'll dig them up. I'm Dancing Chipmunk. Private Eye. You're listening to KWUR, Clayton 90.3 FM. Home to the spiciest radio theater St. Louis has to offer. That's a boat that's leaving Oh, soon for New York Come with me That's where we belong Sister, you and me can live That high life in New York Come with me There you can go Sister, I'll buy you the swellest mansion Upon Upper Fifth Avenue and through all we go strut, we'll go strut, and there'll be nothing too good for you. I'll dress you in silks and satin, in the latest Paris style. All oh, you'll forget, you'll be forgetting, there'll be no fretting but smiles. Come along with me, that's the place. Don't be a fool, come along, come along. Leaving soon for New York. Come with me. That's where we belong. Oh, sister, that's where we belong.
that's leaving soon for New York. Come with me, that's where we belong. Sister, you and me can live that our life in New York. Come with me, that you can't go wrong. Sister, I'll buy you the swellest mansion Support minority education today and the great minds of tomorrow, the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. To support the UNCF, visit uncf.org or call 1-800-332-UNCF. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. You're listening to the K-Worth Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM. Clayton! This is our ice and cold show. It's so chilly in here. Actually, it's really warm in this studio. It is. Today. It is pretty warm it is in here. Commonly warm. The- but we're doing a winter-themed show, so we have to like pretend. We we gotta fake it. Well, see, K were in addition to just being the hottest place on campus, quite Ba-chow! quite literally is one of the hottest places on campus. The um. The bathroom in is like a sauna. Is right under this immense radiator, uh, and whenever you go in there, it's like stepping onto the surface of Venus. Yes, which is something like eight hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yes, the surface of Venus is very hot. Actually, it might be nine hundred and sixty-two. I should know this stuff. I took astronomy last semester. Um, did did they did they talk about the surface temperature of Venus? Mm-hmm. I assumed that they would talk about stuff like the orbit of Venus. Uh, well, we talked about both, but the surface temperature of Venus is basically constant all day long. There are no, you know, annual highs or lows. There is no nightly. Right, because it's got, it's just trapped all the heat in there because of the greenhouse right. effect. With it's just the, always the same temperature. Like atmosphere soup. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Venus is cool, but it's really, um, really hot. And we it has know nothing to do with our theme. We know that you tune. <laughs> we know that you, the listener, tune in to the Kworth Theater of the Air to hear facts about Venus, and so we like <laughs> to oblige you every week. Uh, the, this is going to be a recurring segment: facts about Venus. It's true. So uh, tune in next week for more exciting facts uh, about Venus. Venus is really hot because of all the junk that's that's in its atmosphere. Tune in next week for more Dirty Space News. Do you remember Dirty Space News? I do remember Dirty Space News. There was this blogger, Zay Frank, who used to talk about uh, Dirty Space News. Yeah. Whenever, you know, there would be space, space news phenomena. That, that sounded like innuendo. Dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
Anyway, this is not about Venus. This is a winter-themed episode. It's about cold and snow and ice and jingle bells, I guess. I I think we're past jingle bells at this point in the year. Tis belatedly the season. But it is a very wintersome episode, and we have a very wintersome episode of Sky Pirates for you. It is true. Don't we, David? Yes, we do. What exciting stuff can you tell us about this episode? Well, let's see. Uh, should we give a little plot recap? Let, let's give a recap of the story so far. Okay, so Captain Gulliver Nash of the Feathered Beagle uh, and his crew, Georgina Purcell, uh, Simon Taggart, and, and the rest, along with um, Admiral Nelson the Dog, are on, are on this airship called the Feathered Beagle, and they're, they've just found out about some sort of nebulous plot um, ha- being hatched by the main bad guy, uh, Baron Klaus von Grupp to take over the world using robots. Um, it's it's pretty insidious. Uh, he's been hired by this this uh, this Austrian bad guy, Lady Magdalena von Schwarzhofen, to bad find lady, bad lady, to find and kill Gulliver Nash, bad dame. And so right now the bad guys are hunting the good guys, and I mean really that's that's all you need to know. Yes, indeed, and you will see whence they have fled as we begin. This exciting episode of Sky Pirates. Punch it, Dave. The Himalayas. On the ground, virgin snowscapes offer miles of anonymity to albinos of all stripes. Above, the majestic mountains enforce the separation between the pleasures of heaven and the hardships of earth. A delicate position where Captain Gulliver Nash and the company of his feathered beagle find themselves aboard their modern, albeit uninsulated flying machine. I'm freezing, George. Yeah, it's worth it, though. This was a pretty good plan, Nash. The mountains will block any signal being sent to Baron von Grupp if he's got us bugged. No, I'm actually frozen. Our hero demonstrates the curious phenomenon of human flesh applied to very cold metal, and then attempts to undo said phenomenon. Ow! Mr. Taggart? Aye, Captain? Don't we have any more things to burn? No, sir. We burned everything that would light. Even the pictures of Claudette Colbert, where she's making that pouty face? Aye. That's a damn shame. Uh Uh-oh. What do you mean, uh uh-oh? I don't like it when you say uh uh-oh. The envelope, Nash. The low temperature is causing us to lose lift. What should we do? George, there's one thing I'm never short of, and that's a plan. Do tell. Mr. Segman, set her down. We need to find shelter until we can properly insulate our envelope against these temperatures. You want us to go through these mountains on foot? That's the plan. Well, yeah. We'll die! Possibly. You're insane. Yeah. Let's go. Ladies first. Armed with hope, desperation, and the tattered remnants of Nash's chivalry, the beagle lands and Nash and a small retinue set off through the rocky terrain on foot looking for solace. For these are dangerous climbs. Dangerous climbs full of dangerous men. Dangerous men like Gulliver Nash and his crew of... Sky Pirates! Nash, George, and Gunnery Sergeant Taggart proceed through the wilderness on improvised snowshoes. This was a stupid plan. These tennis rackets were expensive. Then you're lucky you stole them. And it's cold. (laughs) This is hardly the worst spot I've ever been in. Why, I once fought my way out of a bar full of krauts with nothing but a toothpick. Oh, you flyboys have it so rough. One time, a grenade landed in the open mouth of a man while he was talking to me. Okay, don't... Like a ripe watermelon it was. Enough of that. Look, in the mist ahead. 
A mysterious figure seems to appear almost out of nowhere. A heaving beast of burden hulks at his side. The mist from its exhalations twine in the cold air like the braids of a... What? Come on. Are you paid by the word or something? Sorry. It's a smelly bearded man with a yak. Jeez. You souls look lost. That is a pretty accurate assessment. Though I am but a simple yak herder, I own an inn not too far from here. It has furs, meats, and many other accommodations which should suit your party. I would only ask for a token sum in return. I'm fresh out of tokens. However, I do have ungodly sums of money. That'd work, too. Sir, on behalf of the crew of the Feathered Beagle, I'd like to thank you for your hospitality. And who might you be? Captain Deliver Nash, formerly of the United States Army Air Corps. And you are... Upon hearing the name, the yak herder says nothing, apparently unaware or unimpressed by Nash's celebrity. I am Goba Pundun Yeltsosherba. Is that short for something? Yes. Please follow me. Meanwhile, the ship of the unspeakably evil Baron von Grop's death's head floats over the Mediterranean, searching in vain under the watchful eye of the equally unspeakably evil Lady Magdalena. I don't know how he's done it. But that rogue Nash has somehow been able to scramble my tracking devices. I'm afraid, my dear lady, that for the moment, the trail has gone cold. Oh, irony. Don't be cheeky. Sorry. You seem oddly restrained, Magdalena. Normally you'd be stabbing my expensive furniture. Is something troubling you? It's Nash. Pfft, this is only a minor setback. Consider him incinerated. It's not that. Have you eaten today? You look a little peakish. I'm fine. Very well. So, I finished the sonic cannon. Did you? Yes. Soon you can uh, shatter your adversary into tiny pieces. <sighs> Rather like that. I want to be alone. In frustration, Magdalena storms into her chambers and gets out a set of her favorite throwing knives, ready to hurl them at a photograph of Nash hung up in the corner. She readies a blade, prepares to land it right between the eyes, and... I can't. What do you mean you can't? It's a simple flicking motion. I can't do it. It's... it's Nash. I think I love him. You mean, you'd love for him to be crushed by a thousand boulders? No. You'd love for him to be bitten by a family of venomous snakes? No! You... you actually mean genuine flowers and chocolate, wine, candles, and smooches love? Yes, but no. Ah! You know, one of these days you're going to break your favorite teapot and you won't realize it until it's too late. I don't care. He haunts my dreams. Everywhere I turn, he's there. I want so desperately to end him. There are times when I've got him cornered, blade out, ready to shove it into him, and I just can't do it. I need him, but he has to die. Why is that, though? <sighs> my late husband, Wilhelm, was Europe's finest pilot. The Black Duke, they called him. He was a master, the best, except for one. And that was Nash. The two of them fought each other many times in the war, but never did either land a single hit. Toward the end of the war, Wilhelm and Nash were engaged in a fierce dogfight, and Nash shot him in the wing with a single bullet. 
I came from a family of fencers, and in swordplay there is no greater insult than to strike your opponent's toe. The bullet, placed right in the middle of the cross on the wing, said, I could take your life, but it simply wouldn't be worth the effort. An insult in the utmost. At my urging, Wilhelm avenged my tainted honor and killed himself. But it was not enough. I couldn't move on. I grew obsessed. I followed Nash in the papers until he disappeared into obscurity. I thought I had mostly forgotten him until Nash raided Klaus's workshop. And then everything flooded back. I knew I wanted to find Nash. He bested the man I loved. Either he becomes mine, or I destroy him. That's primeval. Call it the feudal instinct. I can't kill him, but I must. Sounds like you've got this all figured out. Ah! Okay. In the Himalayas, things are much more stable. The crew has joined Nash and company in Goba's snug little inn, wrapped in their newly purchased yak-lined sleeping bags. A low fire crackles in the corner, and the crew have supped on stew and beer. Thus... As it always is with airmen of a certain disposition, when night has fallen and the day's duties are finished, it falls to storytelling. George looks on as she tinkers with something on a workbench. And that's who my commanding officer lost his toupee and he never spoke in a word to me again. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you're enjoying yourself. I love that story. Here, Gobo, why don't you join us? Got any stories, friend? I shouldn't like to be put on the spot, Miss Purcell. That's fine. I do have a question, though. What's that? How did you end up in your curious aerial conveyance with such disparate backgrounds? Where'd the airship come from? Yes. Weren't you a fighter pilot? Yes. Did I mention that? I thought you did. Ah. Okay. Well, yes, I used to be a pilot. Fairly decorated, too. I wouldn't say I was an ace. Oh, I would, Captain. You flatterer. But I got I got my share of enemy kills. Honor and minor glory may be worth the ugly business of war, but they don't fill a man's pockets. So I took to barnstorming after the war. Oh, tell him about the Black Duke. I guess it doesn't make sense without the Duke. Uh, a man named Wilhelm von Schwarzhofen. He was my nemesis in the war. Never was there a finer fighter among the Central Powers. We dogged each other for months, until finally I scored a hit on him. Just one. Next thing I knew, the war was over. Von Schwarzhofen had disappeared. They said he'd killed himself out of shame, and that made me some kind of hero. Had he? He hopped into his plane, said goodbye to his wife, and was never heard from again. They never even found his plane, but I don't think he's dead. No? You can tell a lot about a man from the way he flies. The Duke was a man of honor, but he wasn't prideful. I don't think he would have killed himself. Not everyone sees honor the same way. I'll concede that, but anyway. After the war, we barnstormed for money, but the plane we had was shoddy. Not a long-term investment as far as those things go, and one day I'm doing a test run over a field, and the engine dies. Uh, it gives out. ignites. The whole cockpit's on fire, so I can't land it, so I failed and crashed the thing. Now we're standing in the middle of nowhere in Texas and staring at this burning wreckage. George has an idea. We extinguish the fire, paint up the wreck, and claiming it was the Duke's plane, we sold it to an Austrian war museum. It earned us enough coin to purchase an outfit and airship. Why'd you call it the Feathered Beetle? I don't know. I like dogs. It's so redeeming feature. Cute. So, Goba, do you have any tales to spin for us? Or perhaps tomorrow. I should probably retire. Ow! Blood and thunder. 
What is that? I'm fixing a robot. I've finished with rewiring, and I believe he's ready to be activated. There we are. From now on, you shall carry on like a true English gentleman robot. Henceforth, you'll go by the name of my great-great-grandfather Digby. Switch on. Digby, can you hear me? What do you have to say for yourself? Like Lazarus, the robot slowly rises up, looks to his creator, and says, Cool! And if you cold, eh? You lot haven't any biscuits and treacle, have you? I'll kill a man for some tea. I think I may have crossed the wrong wires. Admiral Nelson barks and skitters across the floor, jumping on Digby on his way. Oh, get off, you bloody horrible creature! Will someone get that dog off my robot? Sorry, Mum, he's a bit loudy. I'll say he is. Bad Admiral Nelson. To the devil with the lot of you! He had a point, though. God fix that blotter. He sounds like a fishmonger with his head in the Thames. Goodbye, Admiral Nelson. You've done us a service. Well, he certainly didn't do any harm. But unbeknownst to our heroes, harm is precisely what their dog, however accidentally, has done. In his attempt to switch off George's cockney bot, Admiral Nelson accidentally switched on the robot's emergency distress beacon, sending a homing signal back to the death's head. What's that noise? It's a distress beacon from one of my robot soldiers. It can only be the one that snuck aboard Nash's ship. What? And it's coming from... Nepal? It's in the Himalayas somewhere. Of course. You had his ship bugged, right? Of course I did. Thus the mountains. They would block all the signals save for an emergency beacon. Those sly dogs. Come, Klaus. Let us crush them. I am entertaining the notion that this is a trap. Why would they purposefully activate an emergency beacon? What if it's a red herring? and they've dumped the beacon on top of a mountain and headed on their merry way. Why would they let us pick up their scent if we'd already lost it? And what sort of trap can those pathetic ruffians lay for us? Always overestimate your opponent, Magdalena. Hubris has brought about the fall of too many smart people. Nash can't be that far from the beacon if he's just turned it on. And we have so many more guns than they do. Well, you have a point there. To the mountains, then. Nash shall meet with swift destruction, Lady Fair. Swift and sweet. The next morning catches the crew of the Beagle in the midst of a snowball fight, meaning either they are blissfully unaware of the impending attack or are preparing intensely. Hey, look out! Oh, my hands are getting cold! Hey, you never get me! My shoeless Joe Jackson rookie card to anyone who can lay so much as a flake of snow on me. Would you please keep Digby out of this childish American fracas? I've just gotten his speech properly calibrated. Quite so, old chap, quite so. I still don't trust that thing, George. You will. I'm teaching him to be like me. And my point still stands. So, Captain Nash, is your aim as good as they say? Depends whom you ask, Goba. If they're the modest type, then no, I'm much better. Do you think you can hit that windmill over there? <laughs> Are you kidding? I can hit it blindfolded with a hand on Betty Davis's thigh. Watch. Nash pulls back and fires off a snowball, and, being a man of his word, hits the windmill square. But then something curious happens. His throw knocks snow off the windmill, exposing a piece of black metal. The wing of a biplane. What? No. The plane. Not that fake one you may see in the Aeronautical Museum in Vienna. Oh, my God. It can't be. Or what it is, Gulliver. You're the Black Duke. 
Duke Wilhelm von Schwarzhofen. At your service. It's really you. In the flesh. You look just as you did in the papers, Captain Nash. You shaved your mustache. I really must commend you on your post-war career, Captain Nash. Not all of our brothers in arms could keep it together as of well. I can't believe I didn't recognize you. It was a pretty distinctive mustache. What happened to you? After the war, the Duchess and I fell to arguing. She demanded I kill myself out of shame, like you said. I don't know. She was crazy. Dames, huh? So I climbed into my plane and never looked back. But that is all behind me now. It's me and the yaks out here, and I've never been happier. Well, then I share your happiness. <laughs> it's just so odd. All those years we spent trying to kill each other, and here we are talking like regular chums. As adversaries, we were beautiful because our natural unspoken bond. I could always anticipate your movements and you mine. Really? Because I never knew what the hell you were going to do next. Which reminds me of something which has always troubled me. Why did you let me live? Was it because I was such a quality opponent that you couldn't stand living in a world without me? Frankly, I had run out of bullets. Ah. Lucky that I did or we wouldn't be talking now. <laughs> this is crazy. Friends with the Black Dude. Okay, this will seal it. What is your favorite Chaplin picture? The Gold Rust. Correct answer! Wilhelm, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, I like that. You should write for motion pictures. Motion pictures? Really, I think radio's where the money's at. <laughs> and that, the Death's Head emerges from behind a mountain, bearing down on our heroes with its new armament, Grop's experimental sonic cannon. Oh, that isn't good. Stegman, spin her up, let's get out of here. Gulliver Nash, surrender at once or seize the destruction of your entire crew. Magdalena? Who? Mein Gott, Nash. That's my wife. It is? Think she misses you? She just did. You're coming with us, Wilhelm. If you stay in here, you'll be caught in an avalanche. I cannot face your enemies, Nash. I am finished with war. You'd rather have yaks than Sky von Schwarzhofen? What happened to the man I knew? He retired. Besides, my wife would kill me. She already thinks you're dead. I have a point. Very well, Gulliver Nash. I'll come with you and your crew. You'd better not be out of bullets this time. There's only one way to find out, isn't there? With that, Nash and his old adversary and new ally, the Black Duke, sprint towards the Feather Beagle and the chase begins. Will our ragtag group of heroes be able to withstand Grupp's arsenal? Will Lady Magdalena finally conquer her conflicted feelings towards Nash? Does ending these episodes with cliffhangers get a little tiresome? Those answers and almost too much adventure to handle in the next steaming hot episode of Sky Pirates! Bye, Warbonds. This is KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. This is the KWUR Theater of the Air. We'll be right back. Take out the papers and the trash. Or you don't get no spending cash. If you don't scrub that kitchen floor, you ain't gonna rock and roll no more. Don't go back. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust guy with that broom. You just put on your coat and hat. 
Hey, wake up. You can't just dream your way into college. There are actual steps you need to take. Steps that go just beyond getting good grades. So if you're serious about college, visit knowhowtogo.org today. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. It's the KWR Theater of the Air, and this is KWUR 90.3 FM, Clayton. We have a wintry mix episode for you. Oh, that's the worst today. I hate wintry mix. Yeah, we, we, we have a, a, a very exciting winter-themed episode for you today. Yes. And really, what winter-themed episode of the KWR Theater of the Air would be complete without Montana Morris and the Pickaxe of Fate. Mm-hmm. If you've listened to our show before, you have, of course, heard this epic uh, Himalayan action-adventure tale, and we would not—we we, we would be remiss yes. if we didn't bring it to you once again now. Fear not. It is rather different from the last Himalayan adventure tale that you just heard. <laughs> Sit yes. back, relax, and find yourself transported to— The Himalayas. We join intrepid paleontologist Montana Morris as he fights for his life aboard the Nazi airship Luftwaffe. <laughs> Is that all you got, Heidi? There's plenty more Nazi punches and kicks where those come from. I'm not letting you take that cursed pickaxe to Imperial Japan, Heidi. You make me laugh, Herr Dr. Morris. You may have been able to thwart Baron von Sturm. But I am made of sterner stuff. I'll say you are, and also a damn sight leggier. Oh, thank you, Herr Doctor. But that's not the point right now. (coughs) 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 Jensen, help me out, buddy. She's got me pinned. Bork, bork. I'm coming, Dr. Morris. (coughs) 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 Get off my leg, you scheidenhund. Good boy, Jensen. Bite those perfect gams, but uh, don't leave any permanent scars. Ah! Keep her still until I can kick this door open. All right, Jensen. Time to bail out. Uh, well, Heidi, it's been a hell of a clam bake, but I'm afraid it's time for me to go, you fascist fox. If I can't have the cursed pickaxe, no one can. The pickaxe. After it. I don't see it, dog. We're falling too fast. Open the chute, Jensen. Well, this is no good. Don't worry, Jensen. Look, we'll come down by that village there. We'll ask if anyone saw the cursed pickaxe fall from the sky. That seems unlikely, given the inclement weather. Then it's lost. As long as it stays out of the hands of the Krauts. It's cold up here, Montana. Don't worry, boy. We'll we'll find shelter soon. Driving the cold, Montana and Jensen make their way to the nearby village at the base of a steep and forbidding peak. They enter the village tavern, 
The Hirsute Ox. Nice to be inside. Come on, Jensen. Let's get something warm. Hey there, barkeep. My dog and I would like something to eat. Oh, there, Outlander. How came you to speak our language? I once spent four months locked in an Argentinian naval brig with a Sherpa gunrunner. What have you got to eat around here? Very little. Why is that? Well, there's plenty of raw food, but the kitchen's got nothing to cook it with. Someone's made off with a ghee. No! What's a ghee? Yak butter. We think it might have been students from the school. What school? The Shaolin Kung Fu Monastery atop the peak. Shaolin Monastery? This far west? Judge school. Ah. The students have always protected us in times of dire need, but I fear something has changed. No kidding. How does one get to this monastery? Look, in light of recent events, I don't think it's smart to discuss this out in front of everyone. Meet me out back. Why do we want to go see a monastery, Dr. Morris? I have a feeling that our pickaxe is in that monastery. And how do you know that, Dr. Morris? Because I'm an ace paleontologist, Jensen. Now all we need to do is get inside. Soon? Gah! It smells down here. Are you sure this will work, Montana? We'd be tied to the underside of a yak if I weren't sure. Now be quiet. They're opening the doors. <coughs> all right, we're in. Time to go do some snooping. Shh! Over here, Jensen. What is it, Montana? I found the Shaolin Master's study. If the monks found the pickaxe, it'll be in here. And if he's not in, there's hardly any chance of us being... <laughs> discovered. Crap. We must attack them! They are here to kill the master! Oh, no. We've been surrounded by a dozen Shaolin monks. But don't worry, Jensen. I've seen this before. The more martial arts experts that surround a hero, the more easily they are dispatched. Eat this, Outlander. A visually stunning fight erupts. Montana is promptly knocked unconscious. Dr. Montana. Yes, yes. I think we need to find a new line of employment. One that doesn't involve us getting tied up all the time. I'll give it some serious consideration, Jensen. It looks like the bug stops here, Dr. Montana Morris. Who are you? And how do you know my name? You dropped your wallet when we knocked you unconscious. Well played. Now take this damned blindfold off. I want to see who I'm talking to. It's you! Yes, it is. Who... who are you? I am Deng Feihu, master of this monastery. You've got... you've got a strangely familiar pickaxe embedded in your skull. It must have fallen right into your head. Must... break... free. I wouldn't try to take it, Morris. Inspiration has fallen from heaven, and my students have benefited. They've only benefited from the evil in that pickaxe. The thing is cursed, Master Dang. You must remove it from your head immediately. It's poisoned your mind. That seems unlikely. Through the inspiration... Curse. Shut up. ...of this hoary relic, I have learned a secret ritual that will increase my strength a hundredfold. Someone get me down from here. I'm going to bite his ears off. They don't blindfold the dog, now do they? Hey, Dr. Morris, you got your nail file? Yes, I'll try and get us free. Acolytes, prepare the path of key. What is he doing? 
raise the giant walk. They're going to pour that hot yak butter over the master's head. You fool! Get out from under there. You'll be killed. Not likely, Morris. When I combine this yak butter and the power of the pickaxe embedded in my head, I will become more than a mere man. I will assume the form of the mighty Mastodon. Once I am transformed, I will feast upon your flesh, Morris. And finally, I can bring iron tusk stability to this entire continent. A golden age of imposed tranquility. I can almost smell it. I think that's the key. Sirens! Go, my students. Pour the hot butter. Don't do it. Rarf! Dear God, it's too horrible to watch. Yes, yes, the power, the power, the power. Hey, he's become a hideous beast. He is enormous. But we're free. Let's get out of here, little buddy, while he's distracted. Think you can restrain me with your trunk, do you? Well, apparently you can. Save yourself, Jensen. Jensen? He's gone. Has he abandoned me? My oldest and most Swedish friend? I mean, we've been adventuring together for 14 years. That's 56 in dog years and 2 billion in Australian red thorax gnat years. Getting hot in here. Work, work! Jensen, old buddy, old pal, you didn't abandon me. No, Dr. Morris. I just went to turn up the monastery's thermostat. Good work, Jensen. With the increased heat, the mastodon will go extinct. What? No! He's back to normal. And the pickaxe fell out of his head. What happened? I remember something falling from the sky. Let us put this cursed pickaxe where no human can get it. Why am I covered in butter? Let's head back to town, charter a plane, and throw it on top of Mount Everest. No human will ever set foot there. Who are you people? I'm Montana Morris, and this is Jensen the Dog. Did they just jump out the window? Yes, sir, I, uh, I think they did. Master Dang? Yes, my son. That, uh, Mastodon thing, was that some kind of test? Test? Uh, yes, it was a test, and you all passed. Good, good job, students. Very, very well done, yes. I'm proud. The great Buddha is proud of you. Another paleontological abomination averted by Dr. Montana Morris. By Warbots. And so we come to the end of yet another episode of the KWUR Theater of the Air, broadcast here on KWUR Clayton, 90.3 FM. Yes, indeed. It's been fun. But now, I believe, 
it is time to play the music. Oh, that's different music. That's different music. <laughs> it's time to play this music. Yes. <laughs> the, uh... Okay, the players this week in the KWUR Theater of the Air for Sky Pirates were Evan Kuhn, Alex Jensen, David Brunel Brutman, Justin Pieper, Michael Giserni, Willis Garcini, and David Reinstrom. Our casting director this week was Jack Frost. Our lighting manager was Heat Miser, the bad guy from that Rudolph the Reindeer Claymation movie. Our intensely sympathetic supervillain of the week is Mr. Freeze. And the Ice King? The Ice King is an oxymoron. Say it, Dave. Stop meddling, boy! You and your magical dog can't harm me! Pentagrammatical! Rhombus! Algebraic! Penguins! Who dat gonna beat them saints? Who dat? Who dat? Who dat gonna beat them saints? Who dat? Who dat? Who dat gonna beat them saints? Who dat? Who dat? David suddenly likes football. Who dat? Who dat? The answer is no dat. Nobody that. Did you know that you can get a daiquiri in a drive-thru? <laughs> oh in God! Do we New have to Orleans? talk about the daiquiris? Yes, you can get a drive-thru daiquiri. It is legal as long as they don't pierce the top of the of the of the um, what you call it, the little to-go cup. The, they as have long to as they tape. The well, they have to tape the straw to it. Oh my God! Goodbye and good week and good luck.